of you are on Facebook? I don't mean right at this second, but I mean... <clears throat> Somebody probably is. That's right. Right, right. So admitting you have a problem is always the first step to resolution if you're on Facebook. And uh, so here's a little bit about Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I like Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a social network that began in 2004. And if you've been on Facebook, you know how it goes. You go online and you register yourself as a user and you set up your username and pictures and, you know, some information about yourself and all that. And then after you do that, and create your personal profile. Then you get a network of friends and you start befriending people. And, and uh, this allows you to connect with other, other friends. I should always say friends on Facebook, right? And then your friends and their friends. And then once you're friends, then you can do things like you can post stuff on your wall and your friends can see it. And, and they can post stuff on their wall and you can see it. Or they can post cats on your wall and you can delete it. And you can do stuff like that to each other. And it's like a great way you can, they'll put pe- pictures of their pets on there. And then um, once they post stuff, then you can like stuff, even if you don't like it, but you're nice. So you go around just liking everything. And, uh, and, and that's kind of Facebook in a nutshell. But Facebook is kind of, it's gone kind of nuts. Like there's uh, over a billion registered users on Facebook. So you got to put that in perspective. There's 7 billion people on the planet. So one out of every seven people are on Facebook. It's kind of crazy. Um, 845 million uh, are regular users and of those who are regular users 57% log in daily and spend an average of 20 minutes per visit most of you guys are overachievers in that area I think um, I watch you uh, 250 million photos are uploaded every day so let's put that in perspective 250 million photos a day is about 2900 photos a second there are over 2.7 billion likes a day That's about 11,600 a second, all right? Uh, Over 50% of North Americans are uh, on Facebook. And and, and here's the one that just, just blows my mind. So if you get on the internet, like not right now, but if you get on the internet and you open a page, that's a page view. Did you know that that, uh, right now, 20% of all page views on the internet are of Facebook? One out of every five pages that's open on the internet right now is Facebook. So with all that being said, and I, you know, there's a lot of discussion on Facebook last night about Facebook and the sermon, and I hope this doesn't create too much confusion for you, but personally, I like Facebook. Facebook allows me to connect with people in, in, in a great way. I get to have conversations with people that I maybe don't normally get to have conversations with. I have Facebook relationships with my family down in California, with people on the other side of the world in a way that I couldn't do any other way. Um, I get to talk with a lot of you. I get caught up on what's going on in your lives. I can go on uh, the gateway page and post stuff about the sermon and I get to, every 25 minutes or so, I get to see um, um, Jossie Lamb's latest pictures of her kids, which is helpful because they grow up fast, you know. And, um, and then I get to see what Sherry Ely has for dinner every night because it just kind of varies. And so, you know, it's great. It's a great way to kind of supplement real world relationships or to keep up with people who live far away. But at the, uh, on the other side, and I, if you've been on Facebook, you, you know what I'm talking about. Facebook can also foster some really bad relational habits. Because on Facebook, you're kind of able to live in a relational world that 
is not like the real world. Like on Facebook, you have a lot of control. You, you can manipulate a lot of things. On Facebook, you get to decide, first of all, who's in your relational world and who is not, right? Because you get to decide who your friends are and who are not going to be your friends. Now, in the real world, it's not quite that simple, right? Because you may, I, I don't know, you may have people living in your house that you don't want to be your Facebook friend, but you don't have any control if they live in your house or you don't have any control if you work with them or if they live in your neighborhood. But on Facebook, you have all that control. On Facebook, you get to determine the pictures that you put on your wall and and that's what people see. And if someone puts a picture on your wall, say from college, that you don't want on there, then you can kind of delete that if you want. Um, You get to determine. In fact, on Facebook, you can determine when you're online, which people can see that you're online. You can actually refine that so you could be online and certain people won't know you're online. Now, that's kind of like stalking, if you ask me, but you can do that on Facebook. You can ignore people on Facebook. You can unfriend people on Facebook. Really, you only have to be as honest on Facebook as you want to be. You only have to be as transparent on Facebook as you want to be. And some people on Facebook, pretty much, if you look at their, at their profile, they're pretty much putting up a front that, is, that their Facebook profile is nothing like the real person. Instead of that kind of relational life, God has called us to something dramatically different. Instead of a life that's full of relational control and, and convenience and all about me, Jesus has called us to a different kind of relationship. In John thirteen thirty four, and we looked at this last week and we'll look at it next week, but, but Jesus says this. In fact, would you read this with me? A new command. Oh, no, no, that's not going to work. Okay, let's try this again, all right? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There you go. So what Jesus says is a couple of things. First of all, loving in your relationships is a command. It's not a good idea. It's not just for the super spiritual. It's not like for extra credit. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You love one another. And he, he just, he tells you, here's, by the way, how you do it. You love one another the way I've loved you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, so we may miss it, but what he was saying as he was talking to them is he was, he was face to face with them. He was actively involved in their lives. Um, and you know, sometimes that's, that, that requires a inconvenience and, and sometimes it's costly and, and it can be a little messy sometimes. But Jesus says, this is what I've, I've called you to. Now in 1 Peter 1.22, um, the writer says this, and, and this is a great verse. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brother. So when you read that, it might sound like he's talking to super, super highfalutin spiritual people, but all he's saying is this. He says, you're people who are, have purified or you are purifying yourselves by obeying the truth. Now, remember last week we said that all of scripture can be boiled down over, over 1600 commands and, and precepts and all this stuff. All of it can be kind of boiled down to one thing. Every command in the Bible is about loving God by loving people. Everything boils down to loving God by loving people. So all he's saying here is this. He's saying, you've been doing that. You've been purifying yourselves by obeying the truth. What's the truth? That we love God by loving people. So he says, you, you guys, you've all been doing this. And so then he goes on, he says, now love one another. Notice what he says is love one another. What? Deeply. Okay. So let's kind of dig down and say that like we mean it, right? Love one another Deeply. Oh, man. God, this is 11 o'clock. You guys are like, I mean, you're not six on Saturday. They're all 
totally hyped up on coffee, but let's try it again. Love one another deeply, okay? So we're going to dig down a little bit here, and we're going to love one another deeply from the heart. So now that's a little bit different, quite frankly, than a lot of times what happens on Facebook. Because I think on Facebook, a lot of times the goal is to have as many friends as you can possibly have, even if you've never met them before. Not important. Because if you've got 100 friends, that's cool. But if you've got 1,000 friends, that's even cooler. And if you've got 10,000 friends, that must mean you're even cooler. And so a lot of times on Facebook, we, we think that significance comes from sheer numbers. But what Peter tells us here is, in real life, the goal is not wide. The goal is deep. That we would have deep relationships, that we would love as Jesus loved. Jesus loved deeply. Jesus loved actively. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus was intense about it. And so I want to mention three things this morning that I've learned. And we could talk about 20 or 25, but I'm just going to give you three ways that we can take our relationships deeper and put 1 Peter 1.22 into practice. Three little things that I've learned from Facebook. And the first one is this, that love is greater than like. So if you're on Facebook, you know what I mean when I say like. So on Facebook, if somebody posts something that you like or that you agree with or you think is funny or you just can't help yourself, you have to like every cat picture and video that, that gets put up. If you do, if you're like that, then you, it's super easy. You just look at it and there's a little, little little like button and you just press like. And pressing like button is like a simple, easy way to let people know that you saw their post without any of the inconvenience and hassle of actually having to interact with them in any way, shape, or form. You don't actually have to have a conversation with them. Just press like and move on as, as fast as you can. Now, I saw this this last week and it made me laugh so hard because I think this is kind of the epitome of a like um, button for me. So there's this girl who's in my network of friends and she puts on last week, it was in the evening and she said, my car is broken down and I can't get to work tomorrow. Could somebody give me a ride? And, and I, I saw it and pretty soon everybody's pressing like. So she's pretty soon she's got like 35 likes. So finally she gets on there and she's like, stop liking my post. I need a ride, which I thought was great. Cause sometimes we can do that in real life. You know, as we go through life, we can kind of treat people like that. Like somebody comes along and says, man, I'm just, I'm discouraged. I wish I had someone to talk to and just reach over and just go, but I like you. <laughs> you know, I hope it all works out. You know, I need a ride to work. Oh, well, like you. You know, oh, I'm hungry. Well, you know, be warm, be filled. Hope it all works out for you. Well, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Well, I, you know, and we can just kind of go and, and interact with the people around us. And we just kind of, we just kind of like them. We just nod and go, oh, that's sweet. Oh, I hope that works out. Well, here's a good one. We'll all pray for you. Right. And they're like, but I don't need you to pray for me. I just need a ride to work. And sometimes we, we, we fall into that trap. See, love that Jesus talks about. Love does not passively just like people. Love gets involved. That's why Jesus said, and you command, I gift you to love one another. Now, what does that mean? He says, you love as I've loved you. That's the way you love one another. One another. So, of course, love is like such a, a generic and, and, and ubiquitous and cheap word in our culture today. It can mean, love can mean anything you want. Sometimes when people say love, what they mean is lust. Sometimes when people say love, what they mean is sex. Sometimes when people say love, they mean it's kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling. And, and we love everything. We love sports teams. We love the 49ers. We love uh, food. We love songs. You know, we love possessions. But when Jesus talks about love... He's very clear. He kind of defines a force. Love is blessing 
other people. It's not just thinking about other people. It's not just walking along and liking other people. It's actively getting involved. When you think about the way that Jesus loved his disciples, it was, it was very active. He didn't just stay up in heaven and go, you know, those are 12 cool guys. I really like them. I think I'll just like them. He, he didn't do that. The Bible says he came down and he lived among us, right? So he kind of had to come live down on this earth. It's kind of, I don't know if you've noticed, it's messy down here and, and dirty down here and it's not like that in heaven. And, but he came down here and he lived among us. And it says that he, he hung out with those guys. And there were times, I'm sure that was like really trying on him and, and, and his nerves, but he was patient and he, he was forgiving. And when they were hungry, he, he fed them and when they were lonely he spent time with them and then eventually he went to the cross for them he, he, he died for their sins for our sins he, he paid the price for us and then the Bible says that he rose from the dead and for our sake and then he ascended to heaven but he didn't stop there he gave us the Holy Spirit so he's still involved in our lives and he gave us the church which is the body of Christ so we can be together and bless one another and, and, and serve one another and the Bible says that he has plans for us and he's, Jesus is just very very passionately uh, involved in our lives. Now he wants us to take and pass that on to each other. Not Again, he doesn't just want us to walk by one another and you know, like each other. He wants us to love each other actively and, and, and tangibly. In 1 John 3.18 is some great advice, right? Uh, for, for those of us who are tempted to just like one another. John says, dear children, right? Let us not love with just words, because that's easy to do. It's easy to say, oh, I hope that works out. Oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. Not that prayer's not great, but sometimes we can do more than that. He goes, look, here's what you do. Love with actions and love with truth. So when I see action and truth, here's what I think of. When I think of truth, I think of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. So when I, I see him say love and truth, what I think he's saying is this. We need to love according to the example and the teaching of Jesus. So if I want to know how to love someone, I look at Jesus. How did, how did he love people? And I love them with action. To love people with action means I don't just walk by and like them. It means I make room for them. I make room for them in my schedule. I make room for them in my afternoon. I make room for them in my finances. I, you know, I make room for them. I come to church. I see someone sitting alone. I make room for them. In the chair next to me. I'm just walking the sanctuary. I go, look at that person looking lonely. I like you. No, come sit with me. I'll make some room with, for you in my, in my life. So, again, I would just say that this whole passively liking one another, I don't know that any of us do that. I doubt any of us wake up in the morning and go, you know, I just, my goal today is to passively like as many people as I can. Um, we don't do that, but we can fall into that trap. And it's easy, it's easy to fall into I kind of had one of those weeks this last week. Maybe you've had one of those. In fact, it kind of goes back a little ways. I shared with you back in the fall that I was having some health issues, some neuropathy. And, and um, during over Christmas break, or maybe it was a break for you, over Christmas, um, by the end of the Christmas season, uh, physically, I was feeling really, really good. In fact, I was feeling so good, I was thinking we're done with this thing. And then within a few days later, it, everything came back and it came back like worse than I had ever had it. And, and, and by last weekend on Sunday, I was sitting while I was preaching because there was just so much physically 
going on. And I went home, and in and, and our family, kind of what we do is we go home in the afternoon, and um, I sit down with my family, and we had dinner. And then I usually sit down and open up my notes, and I, I'll have a whole bunch of research and maybe an outline and some stuff uh, for, for this weekend. So I'll sit down on Sunday afternoon, and I'll review all that and think about what I want to do. So I sat down in the afternoon, and I opened up my notes. when I didn't feel physically good. It kind of just was trained, and I looked at my notes, and I kind of looked through them, and I looked through them again, and I was like, you know, was I on drugs when I wrote this? Because this is the stupidest sermon I've ever heard of in my life. And I kind of was staring at it thinking, maybe you've done this sometimes. I'm like, you know, if I decide to change plans, that's going to change everything this week. Uh, but I prayed about it, and I thought, I can't preach this sermon. I, I love you guys too much. So I, I put it aside. I'm like, I'm going to have to come up with a whole nother sermon. What am I going to write a sermon on? And, and I looked over on my computer and, you know, I had Facebook on. I don't know, you know, maybe so. But then I started to think about this. Well, if I, if I write a whole different sermon, it's going to change my whole week. Like if I start from scratch, um, basically I'm going to have to lock myself in my office for the entire week. And I can't come out until this sermon is done. And I have a lot of meetings and other things going on. So I was kind of stressed on Sunday afternoon. On Monday morning I woke up and I'm kind of thinking, what am I going to do? So I decided I'm going to change the sermon. I'm going to rewrite it. But I'm basically just not going to be able to be with anybody all week long. And so I began to pray. And I realized in the middle on Monday mornings, I spent some extended time in prayer. And at one point I'm praying. And I realized what I'm essentially praying to God was this. You know what, God? I'm going to be so busy this week writing a sermon about relationships. And I'm not going to have any time for actual relationships. So if you can just work that out for me. And of course, it sounded as stupid to me at the time as it does to you now, and it probably did to God. And so, anyways, the upshot was I, by the, by the time I was in praying, I thought, you know, that's never going to work. And so, I decided that this week, I was actually going to have to dedicate more time to relationships and just let the sermon kind of fend for itself, which might explain why the sermon's going the way it is right now. But anyways, you know, sometimes, I guess all I'm saying is, Sometimes we can fall into that passive trap where we're so busy just going through our day. In fact, I think sometimes uh, as a husband or a wife, you can just get so busy being a husband or wife and doing husband and wife things that you actually don't interact with your husband or wife in a real personal way. I mean, we can fall into the trap of just kind of liking the person we're married to. Just kind of as they walk out, as we walk out, just tapping them and going, I like you, like it, you know. We can do that with our kids. Well, we're so busy trying to provide for our kids. Parents, when we do this sometimes, so busy trying to provide for them, but we don't really have enough time to be with them. Or we can do that with our neighbors or friends. We can do it at church. Where we come to church and, and maybe we serve in the nursery or serve somewhere else, but we don't really have time for people. We're just too busy just kind of passively serving people, to which in James it tells us this, just a, a great passage here. He paints a picture. He says, now suppose that you have a, a brother or a sister, and he's talking about your spiritual family, and they're without clothes and, and they're without daily food. And if one of you sees that and you, say, and you say to them, go, I wish you well, this is kind of the, the modern equivalent would be, you would say, I like you, right? So you just feel like, I'm, they're, hot, they're saying, I'm hungry, I'm, I need a ride to work tomorrow. And you're just like, oh, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, like. But, you know, but you do nothing about their physical needs. And they ask a question, what good is that? Well, it's no good at all. That's not love. So he says, suppose you have a brother or sister who just needs someone to talk to, right? Don't just like them. Talk with them. Suppose they need a meal. Suppose they need a ride to work. 
Suppose they just need someone to sit with at church. They're, they're lonely. Suppose they need some spiritual encouragement. Uh, someone to comfort them. All he's saying is this. Don't just passively like people. Actively love them. So that's the first way to deepen your relationship. Get, to actively get involved. And here's the second way. And that is that you, we have to remember that change is greater than, than conformity. So what I mean is this. Now there's a certain culture on Facebook overall. And that culture on Facebook is... I'm just going to say it's a little bit on the shallow side overall. There's a lot of silly pictures and posts and videos of, of people eating their lunch and cats and videos and videos of cats eating lunch. And there's just not that there's anything wrong with that kind of. Um, but I've noticed on Facebook, it's okay to be like spiritual. And by spiritual, I mean like kind of generically spiritual, right? It's okay to believe in God. But here's what I've noticed. If you start going all gospel on Facebook, people don't like that. If you start talking about Jesus on Facebook, they're not big on that. If you start talking about salvation and the cross and heaven and hell, and, and that's when people on Facebook start pushing back. So I've, I've got enough friends on my network. I've had opportunities to sit back at times and every now and then I'll watch somebody on Facebook decide, you know, I'm going to be salt today. I'm going to be light today on Facebook. They just decide I'm going to cause some trouble today on Facebook. And they go on and they share a verse or they share an idea or something that's contrary to culture. And I've watched how that can get ugly really fast. How people start posting kind of nasty comments on their wall and, you know, there's some name calling and harassing and ultimately there's always the very mature unfriending that, that takes place. And, you know, now the thing is in the real world, it often works the same way. I think in our culture, there's quite a bit of shallowness on the surface. In our culture, it's okay to be spiritual. But again, our culture doesn't really like it when we get very spiritual. Our culture doesn't tend to like it when we just get all gospel on them. Um, in general, people push back on that. But see, Scripture urges us not to give in to the culture and, 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 and not to water down spirituality. Scripture encourages us to be salt and to be light and to make a difference. Hebrews 10.24 is a kind of a great passage. It says this now. Let us consider. And if, if you have your notes, you might circle that word, highlight that word, you know, text that word to your friends, right? So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now that word, let us consider, that in the Greek means to take note of something. Um, to consider something means to, to, to perceive what's really going on there, to detect, uh, to contemplate. So, so to consider would simply mean that you would give it some thought, that you would pray about it. Here's something to pray about. Here's something to brainstorm about. Here's something to plan on, to consider. Um, I, I think I shared with you back uh, the day after Christmas, our um, family minivan, um, our prized possession, uh, just kidding, was parked over in Camas. And while it was parked there, a garbage truck, um, kind of symbolically enough, hit it and, and totaled it, which turned out to be a great thing for us. But anyways, so it took, it took them a month to figure out that it was total. And so this last week, um, they brought a wrecker and they put it on the wrecker and they hauled it off. And I got a check and they got the van. I definitely got the better end of the deal. But anyways, they took it away. And then my wife's like, okay, so we're a car short and we need a car and you need to get busy. You got the check. You need to get going. Now, I'm not really a car person and I'm not into buying cars. I'm not into researching cars. I don't know anything about cars, but I know I'm supposed to buy one. So I went on like autotrader.com 
Mac.com and I, you know, punched in my budget. And the first car that came up was a 1975 MG convertible. And I was like, praise God, the first car I found is going to be mine. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at this car. I'm like, Pastor Bob should be in an MG, right? So I have a friend who's actually a friend of mine, and I, he knows about cars, and so I Facebooked him. I'm like, hey, I think I found my car. <laughs> it's a 75 MG. The boys can drive the Escape. I'm driving the MG. So I'm like, you know, you know cars. What do you think about it? And so he wrote back, and he said, hey, it'd be a great car, but here's the deal. The trunk isn't big enough. That's all he said. So I wrote back and said, well, I don't need a big trunk. What do you mean the trunk isn't big enough? And he's like, here, here's the deal. You're going to need a good pair of running shoes, a sleeping bag, a bicycle, and every tool that you own. Because it's going to take all of those to keep that car running. So he said, I think you should consider, you know, the purchase you're about to make. Uh, so that's what he's talking about. He says, you know, we need to think about the decisions that we make with people around us. Pastor Bill actually texted me last night and said, I think you should still get the MG. So I love Pastor Bill, but he's not going to come pick me up. So that's probably why I'm saying it. But here's what he's saying. He, he, do you ever stop? Have you ever stopped to consider the influence that you're having on the people in your world? I mean, I don't know if you've ever realized, but, but, but you are spiritually influencing every person in your life. You may not have thought about that, but you are. Now, some of you, the influence that you have on people around you is just to not change. Maybe for some people, you just, they're not changing. You're not having any impact on them. You're just kind of encouraging them to stay right where they are. And maybe that there's some people that spiritually, you're kind of, you're dragging down. And maybe that there's some people that spiritually you're lifting up, but you understand you are influencing everyone. All he's saying is you ought to think about that. You ought to stop for a minute and think about that. Now, I, I, again, sometimes people tell me, well, isn't that the job of the pastor or grow group leader or whatever? But the fact is that God has put us in our relationships, every one of us, to influence people. And we all have the ability to influence. We all are doing it whether we realize it or not. Everyone has something to offer the people around them spiritually. Every one of you, you've got an encouraging word that you could, that you could sow into a relationship, a, a Bible verse, something you learned from a sermon. I hope maybe some, sometime, some insight, some, some life experience. But what he's saying is we need to be intentional. And I don't know why we often find that so hard or difficult. Like, why is it so easy to say to someone, hey, come over this afternoon and we'll have some pizza and watch the 49ers win the game. And, you know, we're just going to hang out and do nothing in, in particular. Why is that easy to do? But we find it hard to say like, hey, why don't you come over this afternoon and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about life in Jesus. Why is that so difficult for us? In fact, I, I guess my suggestion would be, if, if you're a Christ follower and if you have Jesus at the core of your being, it seems to me like it would actually be harder to not talk about him than to talk about him. But for some reason, we've kind of bought into the lie in our culture that to be spiritual means you've got to kind of tone it down a little bit. See, what I'm reading here is that true friends real friends encourage each other. They spur one another on. They consider it. They think about it in two areas. They spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds. So my question is, are, have you considered how to help the people in your life be more loving? Have you thought about how you can encourage them to do more good deeds? In First Thessalonians, it says this, so encourage each other 
And build each other up just as you are already doing. And that, that word build up in the Greek, it's, it's the, the word is a reference to building an edifice or, or, or a building. And so we've seen it's kind of like, you know, building a building with people. So uh, maybe you've done this over the course of my life. I helped build a house and I've done a lot of remodeling. You know, in different phases, you need different things. So in a building project, you get up in the morning and say, well, what are we going to need today? We need some nails, some drywall, some, you know, some paint. Some, some roofing, whatever we're going to need, and you gather that stuff together and you use it. And he's saying, in relationships, it's kind of like that. So you think, I'm, what does this person need from me today? How can I build them up? And, you know, maybe it's an encouraging word. Uh, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's time together over coffee, just talk about life. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's a hug. But here's one of the things I've noticed um, when it comes to relationships, and maybe you've noticed this. You might be thinking that some of your relationships seem more spiritual than other relationships. And I'm, what I'm learning is it's kind of harder to turn a relationship around than it is to start it right. And I kind of got an illustration of this in, in my own life. There's a guy that I've known for a couple of years. I mean, just I've seen him. It uh, doesn't go to church here, but I've seen him at um, a couple of events. And I was at his son's wedding and we met during that time. And I just kind of always thought he's kind of a neat guy. And, you know, it'd be, getting, it'd be great to get to know him someday. And um, so this starting this fall, I had a situation where I spend every Monday up in Skamania and I happen to know that that's where he works. And so I called him up in the fall and I said, you know, we don't really know each other, but, um, kind of know of each other. And I'm looking for someone to have lunch with on Mondays. And I thought we could just have lunch on Mondays. And he was like, sure, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Now I was thinking to myself, um, this is going to be, uh, we're going to have deep, meaningful conversations. That's just what I was thinking. I hardly know him. So if I have lunch with him and I want to talk about Jesus and he doesn't want to, then I'll, I just won't have lunch with him again. Yeah, I didn't tell him that, but that's, well, apparently he was having the same thought. And so we got together for lunch the first time we had lunch. And I mean, we talked about like, we talked about our jobs and we talked about our families and we talked about our finances and we talked about our hobbies. But every single thing we talked about, we talked about that in light of Jesus. Every single thing. And, and so we continue to do that. And it's, here's the thing. When you're in a relationship like that, it's easy to do that. Now, what's hard to do, I think, sometimes is in, when you're in a relationship where you kind of avoid talking about those things and suddenly you say, we should be talking about those. Sometimes that's kind of awkward. So over the years, I've had husbands who come and say, you know, I realize my wife and I, we kind of talk about shallow stuff. We never really talk about Jesus. Uh, how do I do that? And it can feel a little intimidating, but it's, again, it's not really rocket science, if you will. It, it doesn't have to be that hard. You just talk about well, you could talk about anything going on in your life, but just talk about how it connects with the core of who you are. So, you know, you could talk again about a life experience you're going through and what God's been teaching you. You could do that. You can talk about a Bible passage that's been meaningful to you. You could go to church together and, you know, critique the sermon and, and send your notes to the pastor and uh, as, as friendly suggestions. Um, you could pray together. Or here's what I've been doing, like for... This last week, I spent, I just had a lot of one-on-one time with people. And um, I just kind of got, this is the habit I've had this week. I just ask everybody at some point in the conversation, I just say, so look, here's the question I have for you. How are you doing spiritually? Like, I know how you're doing physically, I know how you're doing relationally, but how are you doing spiritually? It's a simple question, but here's what I've noticed. Everybody likes to answer that question. Everybody. I've never had anybody go, Ah, uh, what else have you got? You know, everybody's like, yeah. Now, a lot of times people sit back for a minute and think because they're not used to being asked how they're doing spiritually. 
But we are spiritual people. We are not just physical beings. We are physical beings, are spiritual as well. And, and it's important to us. We want to talk about this. So, you know, again, you can just sit down and ask somebody that question. You don't have to call up a friend today and go, hey, you know, let's meet at Starbucks on Monday and talk about the implications of the extra dimensionality of God in a three-dimensional world and how all that. Well, you don't have to do that, although that would be fun to talk about. But instead, you could be like, hey, let's get together and talk about our jobs in the gospel. That would be cool. Let's get together and talk about, you know, our classes at school. Let's talk about algebra and the gospel. I'd love to hear that conversation. Hey, let's talk about our dating relationship and the gospel, because I think they kind of should go together. Hey, let's talk about our merits. Let's talk about our family. Let's talk about our budget and the gospel. I'm not, I'm not saying we can't talk about sports, but let's just talk about sports and, and, and the gospel. Because that's part of who we are. And I, I need to move on to the third one here, the last one. All right, the third way to deepen your relationships, and we'll wrap this up, is uh, to remember that reconciling is always greater than unfriending. So uh, here's the thing. It's hard to go deep in a relationship when you just keep ending them. All right, so that's not, kind of not rocket science. But here's what I've seen on Facebook, right? Somebody posts something, and sometimes this will even, this happened last spring on my wall, actually, where... Somebody posted an idea about something and then somebody didn't like it, so they posted something else. And then the person got a little bit huffy and so they posted something and then, and each post got longer and pretty soon they were all in, in capital letters, you know, um, no smiley faces involved at all. And you know, so sometimes you see this as like, it's a political conversation. Ugh, so glad we're done with that for a while or personal, or maybe somebody made a sarcastic remark or somebody misunderstood or whatever. Or maybe they're just not getting along in the real world and it's spilling over into Facebook. So here's what I've seen people do. It's just simple. It's easy. You just unfriend them, right? It's, it's like so middle school playground, right? Like it's quick, it's easy, it's done. Uh, I can make it so you're no longer my friend. I can make it so, you know, you don't see my posts anymore. In fact, if you're really sophisticated on Facebook and you just really want to get people back, you can, it's possible to go on Facebook and don't, it's not just unfriending someone. You can block them so they can't see you. If you're, if you're in the thing, it just shows a, a, a space there, a blank. Um, they get, you can't email them. You can't message them. You, they have a cone of protection. You got, if you see them in the real world, like Mark Zuckerberg's there with a machine gun to keep you away. It's like, you know, they've just got all this protection. And, and, and here's the thing, right? It's just like, it's one thing when you see it on Facebook. But it's, it's another thing when we do it in the real world. And we have ways of doing it. Now, granted, it's a little more complicated in the real world because you can't just unfriend someone and they, you know, because they might live in your house. You know, they might sit next to you in algebra. You know, they might live next door to you. But we do have some fairly sophisticated means like, the silent treatment, you know, um, just seething bitterness that when we walk into the same sanctuary to worship God, we just will, you know, be on separate sides. I, and I'm just telling you as your pastor, um, I see this stuff all the time. People who just happen to walk into the same worship service, didn't plan it, didn't like it, didn't want it, um, sit on the other side, don't talk to each other. It happens at family gatherings at, at Christmas and, you know, it happens in neighborhoods and we you know, so we'll just, we won't recognize each other. We'll, we'll just avoid each other. We don't answer the phone calls. We don't, you know, listen to the email. And it happens, you know, not, it happens in, in our homes. It, it happens in, in marriages. It happens in churches. But God says, you know what? I, I have something much better for you than that. 
In Matthew 5, 23, Jesus gives us some really good relational advice. He says this, Now therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or your sister, um, another believer has something against you. So here's the, the picture. Um, back then, they would go to the temple, and they were, they were going to worship God. And they would take a sacrifice, an offering, you know, a little thing we put in the offering at the end of the service some money or sacrifice. So back then, sometimes people would go, a lot of times it was, it could be like going to the DMV and you'd have to wait in line for a while with your sacrifice to get up there and see the priest. And so he says, so here's the picture. You go and you're going to worship God and you're waiting in line. And while you're waiting in line, you suddenly remember that you have a friend or someone and there's some, there's some relational tension and it comes to your mind. And he says, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to stop what you're doing and go make that right. And, and that's kind of the picture that he has in mind. And he says, it could be, he's very vague. He just says, if someone has something against you, so it could have been your fault. It could have been their fault. It could have been 50-50. It could have been, you know, 90-10. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He's like, that's not the important thing here. The important thing is there's some relational tension. You need to make that right. And what he's saying is this, that God has something greater for you than just simply solving your relational conflict by unfriending the people that you have issues with. Because when you think about it, and I hope this is not news to you and discouraging to you, because I don't mean it to be, but, you know, nobody's perfect. No one's perfect. You'll never know anyone perfect in this lifetime. The person you're married to, shocking, but here you go. They're not perfect. Your kids are not perfect. Your parents are not perfect. Everybody you know is going to sin. Everyone you know is going to make a mistake. They're going to trip up and all that stuff. I mean, the question becomes, are you going to unfriend every single person that sins against you and lets you down? Well, of course you're not. All right. So what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with it? How do we, how do we move forward? So he gives us, he gives us some advice. He says this, leave your gift. So I, I don't know. I find this kind of interesting. Here's what he says. So you're there and you're there to worship and, and, and you realize somebody has something against you. So leave your gift there in front of the altar. And first, first here's what you do. You go and you be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and, and worship God. So stop what you're doing. So in a modern context, it would be like this. You come to church and you walk in the sanctuary and you're singing a song. And in the middle of the song, you realize somebody had, you've got relational tension with somebody. Or, um, and he, here's what he says. If that happens, stop singing and go make things right. Or let's say it's during the sermon and you suddenly realize somebody has some, stop taking notes and go make things right. Which is, by the way, why this is point three and not point one um, of the sermon. So, but what he's saying is, you know, you need, now I think this is kind of interesting. Think about this. God's like sitting there going, um, you know what? I don't, I don't need your gift. I don't need your worship. I don't need your song like that. Okay? What, what, if you want to show me that you love me, go make things right with that person. Now that shows me that you love me. Go make things right and then come back and, you know, whatever song's left, sing that. Or if Pastor Bob's on point 20, you, at least you get that one in and be done. But go first, go and apologize, go and start a conversation. You know, a couple weeks ago, Bob got said, you know, send him a text or Facebook him or knock on their door or whatever. And just say, you know what? I think God has something better for us than this. And we need to figure out what it is. In Ephesians, it tells us this, be, be kind. So here's, I, it's not always easy. Okay, I know sometimes you go to somebody and apologize and they laugh and you laugh and it's all good, but it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes 
if it took long enough for you to get to a worship service and you realize it's probably messy and it might be hard. And it may be that they, you, you know, you may be thinking they're not going to listen to me or I, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. So here's what he says. Be, be kind because it's going to be messy. Be kind to one another. Here's a good one. Be, be tenderhearted. Don't, don't be harsh. Don't walk in thinking you've got to win the argument. It's got to be all on your terms. Be tenderhearted and forgiving. Forgive, forgive each other. Don't just, don't just settle for liking. Don't just settle for unfriending. Life's too short for that. Don't, don't forgive each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And, you know, I know we talk about this all the time. We probably don't need to talk about it anymore. We just need to do it. But I, I think part of what's implicit in the passage is if it was always easy, we wouldn't have to be kind. If it was always easy, we wouldn't have to be tender-hearted, right? We wouldn't have to forgive. So it's going to be messy. Uh, sometimes it's going to bring out some insecurities. We might have to deal with some stuff we don't want to deal with, talk about some stuff yeah, we don't want to talk about. But we have to do it. It's really important. I'll just close with this story. So this um, little window into my world, um, probably not a good one. So a couple weeks ago, I'm driving along Highway 14, and I'm, I'm somewhere between 164th and 192nd there in that stretch, and I'm heading towards Washougal. So I'm driving down the road, and I'm in the right lane, and next to me is a minivan in the left lane, right? Every bad story starts with a minivan in the left lane. So he's in the left lane, and I'm driving, and I'm listening to some music and kind of going along, and we're kind of driving next to each other. And I catch in the corner of my eye that his right turn signal comes on. So, of course, you know, I look over, and his right turn signal's on. He wants in my lane. Of course, the problem is it's my lane. I'm in that lane right now, and I'm next to him, and I'm in the spot he wants. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, so he's either going to speed up or he's going to slow down. And then he'll come over. And, but apparently there was a third option that I was not aware of. And that was he could just start coming over right now, which he did. So I'm driving along and all of a sudden I notice he's coming over. And well, at least he signaled, right? But he's coming over. So I'm like, you know, I'm looking at him and I'm like, hey, buddy. So I'm trying to, first of all, I've owned my car for five years and I realized I don't know where the horn is. I'm like pressing everywhere. And finally I find the horn. I'm like, honk, right? And nothing. He keeps coming, honk, keeps coming, honk. Now I, so finally I'm on the side of the road, hitting the brakes, getting to a stop on the side of the road. And he's just barreling, barreling along. And I, so I can add that moment, you know, where your heart's pumping and you're like adrenaline. And I, I almost died in my Ford Escape. So I'm kind of sitting there for a minute and all of a sudden I notice way ahead, he pulls over and his white lights come on and he starts backing up. And I thought, well, you know what? Here's the thing. We make mistakes. We have blind spots. I know how that happens. And, but you know, obviously he realized the error of his way and he's going to come apologize to me. So he's backing up and he's getting close and he stops and turns off the car and the door, door opens and he's walking out. And he looks like a nice enough guy, not self, you know, not imposing or dangerous or anything. So he's walking towards me and he's kind of going like this. And I thought, yeah, poor guy, he just made a mistake. It's no big deal. So, uh, all right, so kids, here's the thing. Don't do what Pastor Bob does. Don't get out of your car on the side of Highway 14 to talk to strangers. They just ran you off the road. But that's what I did. I got out because I, you know, needed a sermon illustration. So I got out and I closed the door and I'm walking towards the guy and he's going like this. So it's a Highway 14. It's really loud. Cars are zipping by and I can't hear him. And suddenly I can hear him. And I realized he doesn't sound happy. He sounds really angry. His voice is really elevated. And he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. I signaled and he didn't get over. I signaled and he didn't get over. And I'm thinking, this guy's a broken record. So I get up close to him and I'm thinking, well, he doesn't want to apologize. So fine. You know, so I'm like, what, what, you know, what, what just happened there? And he's like, well, I signaled and he didn't get over. So I'm like, wait, let me just 
Okay, let me explain just how, how this works, right? I'm in a lane, you're in a left lane, and this, this is life in America, right? If you want to occupy a lane where there's another car, you signal, that was a good thing to do. But now, here's the thing you forgot. You wait until there's nobody in that space. So you can speed up, you can slow down, whatever you want to do, but you don't come over, you signal, you watch, you signal, you watch. Then you come over when it's open. To which he looks at me and he says, no, I signaled and you didn't get out of my way. So, of course, I'm like, okay, wait, 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 let's try this again. Pull out the whiteboard. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's you, here's me, put on the signal. Here's how it works. You look, you signal, you look, you look, you look in your mirror. Oh, there's a guy, can't come over, can't come over. Speed up, slow down, whatever you want to do, that's your choice. And then you can come over. To which he says, no, I I signaled and you didn't get out of my way. Now, during the whole time, I kind of pictured there was something just weird about the whole conversation. And that's when I realized that this guy is deaf. So I'm, you know, and I felt like I was because all the cars coming by and stuff. So I'm like trying to talk to this guy and he's talking to me and I realized he can't hear anything I'm saying. Couldn't hear the horn. And I thought, oh, you know, that, so that kind of explains it. So I said, look, no, no big deal. It's, it's okay. Nobody's hurt. Just, I said, just re- next time you're driving down the road, just remember if you want to get over in a lane, you should look in the lane. To which he did something which was brilliant, okay? Because he doesn't want to hear anything I have to say. So I'm talking, I'm trying to explain to him, and this is what he does. He looks away. He won't look at me. And I'm thinking, this is brilliant. He, I can't win the argument if he won't look at me because he can't hear me. He can only read my lips. So it's kind of the equivalent of la, 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 right, right, right. So he's like looking. So he does this. He looks away and I'm like, realize I can't, you know, I'm just waving my arms. People are driving by like, what's that guy doing? I'm just like drawing charts and this guy's looking at, and then he kind of looks up at me, you know, and he's, he looks at me and he says, I signal and you didn't get over. Okay, wait, let's try this again. Looks over the side. I'm like down on, I'm trying to get underneath. I'm trying to signal to him, you know? So finally I'm realizing, I mean, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes goes by. I'm not, you ever have those times where you're like, I'm not going to win this argument. And I don't know that it's important. I don't even know this guy. So finally, I just reach over and I just touch him on the shoulder. Like, I touch him on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, man, look it. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was damaged. And, you know, it's, it's okay. It's all right. Just, you know, and then I had to say it, you know, just look next time. And to which he goes, no, I signal you didn't get over. And I'm like, oh, okay. Look, it's okay, buddy. It's, it's all right. God bless you. I'm just going to get out of here because I don't know if you have a concealed permit or what. I'm just getting out of here, you know. So I walk back to my car and I get in the car and I drive off and, you know, well, I don't know. I'll probably never see him again. He'll probably be here next week. But anyways, um, so I drove off. But here's the thing I thought about when I was working on the sermon this week. I thought, you know, it's really interesting to me that sometimes we'll go to great lengths to try to be right with people that we barely know. And we'll give that more time and effort and humility and, and than we will the people that we're closest to. That there are people in our world and we barely make an effort to get right with them. We're not going to humble ourselves. We're not going to admit what we did wrong. We're not willing to just forgive them and let them off the hook. You know, I know. I, part, of, part of my discussion was I thought if I just let this guy go and, it, and just, you know, let him go and don't make my point, he might run you off the road. I, you know, we have all sorts of ways of justifying it. But have you really made the effort that that person deserves to talk with them, to pursue them, to make things right with them? Jesus said, we need to do that, Right? How are people going to know, Jesus says, that you're my disciples? It's by your love. 
It's by your love for one another. It's by your deep relationships with one another. It's by relationships where we actively serve one another. We don't just talk about it. We serve one another. We don't just like each other. We serve one another. So I know how this goes sometimes, you know, I preach a sermon and you know exactly God's been talking to your heart and maybe it's that he's put on your heart. There's somebody in your life right now that you just kind of like them, you know, but they're close to you, right? And you should be loving them. You should be actively loving them. And you just kind of been liking them. Maybe there's somebody in, in, your, in your world this weekend, the Holy Spirit's just saying, you need to stop liking them and you need to love them actively this week. Maybe you just need to consider how you can encourage someone. Maybe there's someone in your world and you've just, you've never really thought about how you can encourage them spiritually. Maybe it just never even crossed your mind that you could be a positive influence. And again, it could be the person, you know, that you share a bed with. It could be uh, uh, somebody living in your home, somebody you work with. But who is that person? Or maybe that there's somebody that you just, you need to reconcile with. That you, there was a problem, there was an issue, you unfriended them, they unfriended you, you've just kind of left it like that. But this morning the Spirit's been like, man, that, but that's not, that's not my plan for you. That's not how, that, that's just selling yourself so short of the great, great things that God has for you. Serving, encouraging reconciling. So I know we kind of cut a really wide path this morning. Um, and next week we'll kind of narrow down again, but I want to pray for us as we, as we close.